Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the Mass readings for the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time, July 4th, 2021. We humans are rather strange creatures. We believe that just because God asks us to do something, that the efforts that we put forth are going to be successful from a human point of view. God doesn't expect this. God judges our success by our obedience to what he has told us to do. Uh, and he doesn't really expect us to do any more than what he asks. Uh, it's not that the thing is supposed to be successful for by our efforts, but by his. And what he's wanting us to do, even in that obedience, is to be totally dependent upon him. We do our part and allow God to do his part. We're going to look at the readings today. We're going to start with the first reading uh, and then do the gospel and do the second reading after that. And if we have time, we'll look at the responsorial psalm. And it's it, the, the reading, the first reading is from Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Pardon me for shuffling my papers, but I wasn't as prepared as I should have been. And so it starts out, as the Lord spoke to me, the Spirit entered me. Uh, that's pretty interesting. And what we have here is that there's a, ch a vision of a chariot that's in chapter 1. And the vision of the chariot is interrupted here. And it will continue back down in chapter 3, verse 12. And here we have a, by a vision of a scroll, uh, which is probably the first uh, a vision that Ezekiel had. And this probably took place about 593 B.C., uh, and this is where he receives his prophetic call. And this can all be found in the New Jerusalem Bible note, Ezekiel 2a. So he's, here's where we have his uh, prophetic call. Like in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through and following, we see Jeremiah's call where God tells me, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I consecrated you to be a prophet to the nations. And of course, J Jeremiah makes his excuse, God, I can't do that. I'm too young. And so often when we hear a call from God, we make excuses why we cannot do what God is asking us to do. Well, so let's go on. And he says, and he set me on my feet. No, excuse me. And he set me on my feet. So, so Jeremiah was probably in his lazy boy recliner with his giant bag of potato chips watching ESPN. And God got him on his feet. And no, he wasn't doing that. But he was, he was in prayer. And this is one of the things that we need to talk a lot about, and you, you'll hear me talk about frequently. You can't hear God speak if you're not listening for God's voice. And you can't hear God's voice even if you're in prayer, if all of your prayer time is spent in telling God things rather than listening for what God has to say. Uh, the, one of the um, groups that I'm in, we have studied two books. But, well, we're in the process of the second book by Jacques Philippe. One is talking about prayer, and the other one is called a life. And both of them talk about being quiet and about the process of using something like Lexio Divina to hear what God is telling us. And if you're not practicing those things, I, I suggest that you go and, and find something about Lexio Divina and try it. And uh, if you can't try it alone, get somebody to help you who maybe is more experienced with that. So he said, he said I heard the one who called me who, who, who was speaking to me, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites. Well, son of man, again, we'll look at a Jerusalem Bible note here, a new Jerusalem Bible note. This is note B on Ezekiel 2. The expression son of man used by God of his prophet is peculiar to Ezekiel. Okay, it, uh, it says Daniel 
8.17, expect, accepted. And again, in Matthew 8.20, and you realize that this son of man is the title that Jesus called himself. So it, rather than, uh, and now I think that was, uh, I think it's in Matthew. Anyway, son of man is what he called himself. So what we hear is that God has a special call upon him as his particular, as, as, as somebody that's special. And that's what we're hearing here. And he says, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites. Well, he's not doing what, what God did Jonah, to Jonah. He's not sending Ezekiel to uh, the, uh, some foreign country, to Nineveh or someplace like that. He's sending him to the Israelites themselves. God's own people to talk to them because they don't have time to listen to God. They don't know how to listen to God. They're listening to all of the things in their culture and the people of the people around them, and they're going to foreign gods and idols and all sorts of things, and they're not listening to God. And he says, I'm sending you to Israel. He says, rebels who have rebelled against me. Okay, let's take a look at a couple of, uh, uh, of these, these other uh, uh other places where God talks about being son of man. And it's Ezekiel 8, 17 is one of them. He said, he said to me, son of man, do you see what I see? Is it not bad enough that the house of Judah or the house of Judah be doing the loathsome things they are doing? But they fill the country with violence and provoke my anger further. Look at them now putting that branch to their nostrils. Or in Daniel 10, 11, it says, he said to Daniel, you are a man specially chosen Understand the words that I'm about to say to you. Stand up. I have, I have been sent to you now. This, he said this, and I stood up trembling. This is when Michael comes to Daniel after his 21 days of prayer. And so we look at that. We can look again at Ezekiel 33, verses 24 and 27. The 27 says, The Spirit of Yahweh entered me and put me on my feet and spoke to me. He said, Go and shut yourself in your house, son of man. You are about to be tied and bound and unable to mix with other people. I'm going to make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth. You will be dumb and no longer be able to reprove them, for they are a tribe of rebels. When I speak to you, however, I shall open your mouth, and then you shall say to them, Lord Yahweh says this, Anyone prepared to listen, listen. Let him who refuses, refuse, for they are a tribe of rebels. Again, the message to Ezekiel is, you're... You're not, they're not going to listen to you. I'm sending you out there, and you're going to tell them what I want you to say. That's what I'm asking you to do. Tell them what I tell you to speak to them, but they're not going to listen to you. They're going to get very upset with you. They're not, they are going to question your authority for what you're doing. They don't want to hear the message that I have to give to, you, to them, and I'm using you as my instrument to speak to them, but they don't want to hear it. And so just expect this is what's going to happen to you. And I'm not judging you by what that is. I am talk, I'm speaking to them so they have an opportunity to repent. You know, we've talked about repentance, I think it was last week. And so he's saying this, they've rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have revolted against me to this very day. Heart of face and obstinate of heart. Heart of face. They turn their face to him in a way that they're not open to hearing what God has to say. Obstinate of heart. Uh, elsewhere in Ezekiel, in, uh, we hear about to change their stony hearts into hearts of flesh. And they to whom I am sending, okay, are they who to whom I'm sending. But I will, shall say to them, the Lord, thus says the Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, two of the names for God, Adonai, the Lord, Yahweh, I am who am. 
and whether they heed or resist, they are a rebellious house. They shall know that a prophet has been sent among them. They shall know that a prophet has been sent among them. So, what does that mean? Let's look at uh, Ezekiel 33, 33. It says, when things take place, and it is beginning now, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So what is the, what is the, what, how do we know whether a prophet is a true prophet or not? We know a prophet is a true prophet if what he says will happen, happens. Again, Jeremiah 28, 9 says, the prophet who prophesies peace can be recognized only as only, the only true sent, only truly sent by God, by Yahweh, only when his word comes true. So regardless of what the prophet prophesies, the question is, is he speaking the truth? Is this what God wants to do? Uh, so, and again, one of the scripture here, again, I'm going to quote from Jesus in Matthew 7, 10, 17 to 22. It says, be prepared for the people to hand you over to the Sanhedrin and scourge you in their synagogues. This is Jesus talking about what his disciples can expect when they preach the message that he's asking them to go preach. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as evidence to them and to the Gentiles. But when you are handed over, do not worry about how to speak or what to say. What you will say will be given to you when the time comes, because it is not you who will be speaking. The spirit of the, your father will speak, be speaking in you. So again, he's saying, speak the words the spirit has given you to speak. Now, with, let's take a look at the gospel. And there's, a, there's a, several messages here in the gospel that we need to consider. And the gospel is uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. The parallels of this in Matthew, it's Matthew 13, 50, uh, 53 to 58, and Luke uh, 4, 16 to 30. So we've been following Jesus along, and the gospel that we had, that we looked at last week, is where he healed the woman with the hemorrhage, and he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. So now we're, we're, he's he's traveling on. You know, Jesus, we, we look early in Mark, he's, people wanted him to stay there in Capernaum and continue to minister in Capernaum. He said, no, I got to go other places to, to minister. I'm not supposed to stay in one place. My father has asked me or told me that what I need to do is to make the circuit and it's to minister to as many people as possible. So, so Jesus departed from there and came to his native, native place. Now, the, the Hebrew word there for native place is basically one that says fatherland. So he's coming back to Nazareth. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Now, what, what does that mean? He, they couldn't figure out what Jesus was doing. How could he do this? He, he doesn't, and again, again, it's the same thing that we've heard before. How does he do this? He speaks with authority. He speaks as though he knows what he's talking about. He speaks as though he's speaking for God. Our rabbis don't do that. Our rabbis quote one another, and the typical rabbinical way of speaking and preaching was to answer a question with a question. And they said, where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given to him? Again, the word for wisdom in Greek is Sophia. And, and so if you know anybody whose name is Sophia or Sophie, she's been named Wisdom. Hopefully that woman has wisdom. What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands, 
So they've seen some of the miracles that Jesus has done. They've, they've been witnesses to the things that Jesus has done. Some of these people who are in Nazareth now have been following him around when he's done all these other things. And they've seen what Jesus can do. Now here's the kicker. Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary? What, and I'm going to read you a note here. The note here in, in the New Jerusalem Bible says, not the carpenter's son that's in Matthew 13, 15. Mark ex, ex, uh, expression accords better with the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, so he's the carpenter, the son of Mary. But again, perhaps uh, some commentators have mentioned that this is a slur in that Perhaps they knew that he was conceived before Mary and Joseph lived together. So it's maybe a slur against him as not being totally legitimate and a slur against Mary uh, that she was not who she really was. Are not his brothers... It, at, uh, as and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and si Simon. Okay, uh, here's where uh, the Catholic understanding of this and some of our Protestant brothers and sisters' understanding of this is different. Uh, the uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters take this word "brother" in the modern American sense of what it is. What you have to understand is that in the Hebrew mind, there wasn't such a word as cousin. And they, there's no such thing as a cousin once removed or whatever it was. There was no word for cousin. But the word brother was used for a relative. So we got here the brothers James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon or Simon. Uh, let's take a look here at, uh, at this and figure out what he's talking about okay uh, and we see that it's it could from the Catholic perspective these are cousins or some kind of relatives now let's take a look a little bit at this you've got James and Joseph and that could in other translations it may be called Joseph J-O-S-E-T and it could actually mean Joseph so and Judas and Simeon and if you look at John chapter 6 verse 42 when Jesus is doing talking about the doing his bread of life discourse, they're saying, "Surely this is this is Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know." How can he say, "I have come down from heaven"? So they, they, they there's this familiarity with Jesus. They know his family. They know his background. They know where he came from. They know how he was raised. So there's all this familiarity with Jesus. Let's look again at Mark chapter fifteen. Verses 40 and 41. This is going to tell you a little bit about who some of these people were. There were also, and this is at the cross. There were also women looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome, who were who who when he was in Galilee followed him and ministered to him, and also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So again, th this these. These are the men that were these men that are his cousins here or his his relatives. We see again them mentioned as their mother is one of the ones at the cross. 
And um, the, the note on that in the New Jerusalem Bible, it says the same that that this um, the mother of J James and Joseph uh, is probably the same woman who in Matthew 27, 56 is called the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Remember the mothers of the sons of Zebedee came up and asked Jesus to have one set at his sit at her right, his right and one at his left when he came into his kingdom. Give my sons the power and the authority who to be your right and left-hand man when you are the king of Israel and you're routing out all the enemies of Israel, removing the, the Romans from power, and Israel is again a mighty independent nation. So looking at this, we see interaction between the various scriptures that we see across the board. So we have a little bit of understanding who they're talking about. So it's saying here probably that, that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were probably relatives of Jesus. Are not his sisters here with us? Ah, and they took at offense at him. Now the word for offense there is interesting. It's, it's a Greek word, scandalazio. Which, from which we got a word scandalized. So they were scandalized by what Jesus was saying. They thought he was speaking probably blasphemously, blasphemously because he was assuming this authority like he was equal to God. But he was putting on airs as far as they were concerned, that he was trying to be something more than he was. They knew him. He was a nothing. He was a nobody. He came from a noble. Nope. No place city that nobody, or it wasn't even a city, it was a little village. And he was with them, and he was speaking as though he was a, a rabbi who had been trained and knew all these skills and all these things. And he wasn't even talking like a rabbi. He was talking like he had the authority of God himself when he was talking. Do you do that? When God gives you someone in your life who is supposed to be speaking you for, to you for God, when you have someone in your life who is a prophet like Ezekiel, do you become the rebel that looks at this person and says, this person can't say this to me. This person's a sinner. I know this person. I know the family this person came from. These people have nothing that appears holy to me. Why would God choose a nobody like this, a sinner like this, to be able to speak to me? Or when call, God calls you, when you're quiet enough to listen to God and God calls you and you say, you can't possibly call me God. I am a nobody. I'm a sinner. You can't possibly use me. Why do we say that to God? Why do we, and why do we say to God, you can't possibly choose this other person to speak to me because I know them. I've done things with them that I've had to go to confession for. And what Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his native place, in his, in his fatherland. And a prophet there is someone who's a foreteller. Again, Jesus is calling himself a prophet. He's calling himself the new Moses because this, he is the prophet. When, it's, when in the Old Testament, we see that God promised them a prophet in the mode of, Joseph, of Moses. Jesus is that prophet. And among his own kin and in his own house. So it's not your family, your friends, the people you grew up with. They are not going to listen to you when you speak for God because they know you too well. They know your family. They know your background. And it says, so he was not able to perform any mighty deeds there. 
apart from curing a few sick people by laying hands on them. They did not have faith in Jesus. And it's the last line says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Do you have a lack of faith that God could call somebody to do something or other? Does your lack of faith hindering your prayers, the prayers of others? Is your lack of faith hindering God's working in your life and in the lives of those you love and the lives of those for whom you pray? Do you have the faith itself that God can choose as his instrument, whomever he wishes? We'll be looking at Amos in a week or two, and Amos was a dresser of sycamores and a, and a shepherd. And God chose him to be a, a prophet, not even to his own people. He was from Judah, and God sent him to the northern kingdom, the, the enemy. It was like sending somebody from Mobile, Alabama to New York City during the time during or prior to the Civil War. There was an enmity between there and a prejudice between the two regions of the country. God wants to use who he wants to use. God may want to use you. Are you ready to allow God to use you as he wants? Or use whomever he wants to bring into your life and into the lives of those around you. God wants to heal his people. He wants to heal his church, but he's going to use people that we may not choose to have as his instruments. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So amazement there is wonder. And now let's compare this. These are God's people. These are Israelites that are having this problem. Let's compare this with the centurion who, who asked Jesus to heal his servant. And he didn't even want Jesus to come into his house because he wasn't worthy. And what was Jesus' answer in Matthew 8, verse 10? When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, In truth, I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found faith as great as this. Are you going to allow someone who is in the process of conversion, who is discovering Jesus, to have more faith than you who has who are proclaimed to be a follower of Jesus? That's a, a great question that you need to ask yourselves. God isn't asking you to do anything that's impossible. He's asking you to let him be God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And this is the second reading. And this is Paul's, in, this is really talking about Paul's interior rejection of himself. And he says, then, brothers, that I might not become too elated or too proud, a thorn of the flesh was given me, an angel of Satan to beat me, to keep me from becoming too elated. Now, there's a lot of controversy about what this is, whether it was a physical ailment, whether it was a sin habit he couldn't conquer or whatever. Three times I begged the Lord about this to leave me. Now, we can compare this to the three times in the Garden of Gethsemane where, where Jesus asked the Father to remove the cup from him. But Jesus, of course, said, not my will, but thine be done. So we've got a, a, a parallel here. And what did God say? What did God say? But the Lord said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient to you, for you. For the power, for power is made perfect in weakness. It is when, when we are weak that, that God can show his full strength. First Corinthians one twenty-five. again, we'll, we'll look at this one. And God says, or Paul says, 
God's folly is wiser than human's wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. We have to understand that. We have to know that that's what God is trying to tell us. And Isaiah 40, verse 29 to 31 says, he, he, God, gives strength to the weary. He strengthens the powerless. Youths grow tired and weary. The young stumble and fall. But those who hope in Yahweh will retain, regain their strength. They will sprout wings like eagles. Though they run, they will not grow weary. Though they walk, they will never tire. Depend upon God's power. So Paul then says, I will rather boast most gladly of my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may stay, may dwell with, the, with me. Are you willing to accept your weaknesses? Are you willing to accept those things that you just have a very difficult time repenting of and changing in your life? Are you willing to accept the illnesses, the trials, the tribulations that God sends in your life? If not, you, you're not going to have God's power on you. Therefore, I am content with Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and const and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does Philippians 4.13 say? There is nothing I cannot do in the one who strengthens me. There's nothing I can do, not do without Christ who strengthens me. Are you dependent upon God or are you dependent upon yourself? When we depend upon ourselves, our weaknesses are there. When we depend upon God, his strength is there. I, it, and I'm just going to take a quick look at the, at the uh, responsible song. Our eyes are fixed on the Lord, pleading for his mercy. What you, when you look at the first few verses, what you have is this anticipation. It talks about somebody keeping their eyes focused upon the master. And it's talking about somebody who's either a handmaid or a, like a waiter or whatever, trying to keep an eye to make sure that when the signal comes, that they can respond and in the second half of the psalm, it's talking about God's mercy and, and pity and upon the person when they aren't able to do that. Now, I'm going to close here. That, uh, and what we need to see here is that hopefully these readings are an encouragement. We don't need to be discouraged by these readings. However, for, for us to understand what God wants, when he wants it, and what he, what he wants done, and are, are we willing, to, are we ready to do these things? Are you going to be satisfied with the results that God wants? I wish you all a very great, happy, and blessed week. And may God bless you in many, many ways. And until we listen, to, we are together again, I tell you goodbye.